grief and walking with people who are in the midst of that. Um, one of the things Robin and I, Robin and I really just got to know each other in the past few weeks, and it's been awesome. If you don't know Robin, uh, she's amazing. And um, But one of the things we wanted to wanted this to be is not just merely a how to love someone in the midst of suffering, but also uh, what is what's the biblical hope in the midst of suffering? Because we, uh, yeah, we don't assume everyone's here just looking out for someone else. I know there's a lot of people in this congregation who are hurting now um, and wanting to know the hope that the Bible offers now. And so um, part of the reason I wanted to kind of dive into this I do here. not there's one there. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah we're talking about this today this is not really a topic I had really spent a whole lot of time thinking through biblically, I've been a Christian since college and um, had never really gone through any, I'd lost grand, you know, I'd lost a grandparent or two that I was not, that I didn't really know that well. Um, and then after college, uh, I lost a nephew who was diagnosed with a brain tumor and passed away uh, after his fourth birthday. And then about five and a half years ago, I lost my little brother. Uh, he was doing mission work in Spain uh, one summer and then went hiking in Switzerland afterwards and passed away right before his junior year of college. And um, a lot of what we're talking about today is just, is just born out of uh, my own processing uh, of that. Uh, books, uh, people had recommended that I didn't really touch for a long time, but eventually got to a place where I, I, I wanted to and I needed uh, I needed to process uh, that. And so um, th that's kind of what I want to do today is just look briefly at um, what the Bible says about suffering. Um, and then talk through, yeah, what does it look like to walk through suffering? And so the first part of this will be more seminar, and then the second part will be more conversation me and Robin, and I've got some quotes from some other uh, people in our congregation uh, who weren't able to come to this conference. But, um, yeah, it was God's mercy in some ways I'm doing this that I'm doing this seminar this week because uh, it's just been a hard two weeks uh, just with stuff some of our friends have gone through uh, just on Thursday. Well, a week and a half ago, I got news that a guy that I was in a prayer group with uh, in RUF uh, was going into hospice care. They, they kind of had done, he got diagnosed with cancer two years ago. And then um, Thursday morning got the news that he passed away. And um, uh, and I'll, I'll read something from his wife later. But I was just thinking this morning as I was looking over these passages, like, I need them. You know? So I'm here today because it's born out of experiences in the past. But today, even this morning, I was thinking it really is God's kindness that it's, I've been kind of forced to dive into this stuff because uh, I need this truth uh, today. Uh, it's been sweet uh, to kind of talk through, put this through uh, with Robin. Um, what I want to do, just as we're talking about what the Bible says about suffering, is is kind of give ourselves uh, two hooks to grab onto. Um, we need them to kind of understand what the Bible says, but I also call them hooks because we need them because in the midst of suffering, we often feel like we, we, we are lost and drowning and don't know which, a, which way is up and which way is down. And so I wanted to start off, I think on the outlines, the, the parameters, or you could say the foundation, the, the thing we're going to return to uh, over and over, because the Bible returns to it over and over, are these two truths that God is, he is eternally good and he's eternally kind and righteous and merciful. And he's mighty and powerful, and he's orchestrating our lives, and nothing is a surprise to him. And those two things are both true at the same time. And, and, and I, I start off with that saying because those things are probably oftentimes the two 
harder things to believe. We can believe one or the other, but they're hard to believe uh, at the same time. Um, God is absolutely sovereign. Psalm 135, 6, whatever the Lord pleases, uh, he does. And then I've got a bunch of other passages for the sake of time. I will let you dive into those on your own. Uh, his goodness, Deuteronomy 32, 4, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. There's no sin in him. There is no iniquity. First uh, John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness. And all throughout scripture, you could probably go to every book of the Bible and mine those truths extensively, that God is good and he's in control. And honestly, we could probably have a seminar, maybe even a whole conference, on the fact that God is good and he's in control. Um, but I, I just want to get, give the brief flyby on those to kind of to give you, because those, those two things are hard uh, to believe, especially when we're in the midst uh, of something hard. It can be easy to believe um, that God might be powerful, uh, and but you might be in a situation where it does not seem like he's good, or at least he's not good to you. Um, or maybe you think uh, he's, he might be nice, but, and he might love me, but he doesn't seem able to deliver me from this right now. And, and so as we're talking about what the, what the Bible says about suffering, uh, we have to be reminded of, of those two things, that God is mighty and, he is, and he's good. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism 28, what advantage is it to know, is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things? Basically, fancy language for saying, what advantage is it to know that God is mighty and he upholds all things? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand, that without his will they cannot so much as move. Um, even though those two things are in, in so many ways beyond our comprehension, there is great comfort in knowing those two things. There is an advantage to knowing that we have a God who is sovereign. Uh, the alternative is a really scary place. Uh, when we look at the world around us, uh, it's much more terrifying to view that without a God who is in control and powerful and mighty. Uh, and much more terrifying to look at it without a God who is good. Um, nonetheless, it's, it's hard to see those two things mixed together uh, and, I, and I think that's part of it. We, we have to be okay with that tension. Um, it's hard and it's frustrating, but, but, but one of the things that we're acknowledging in Christianity, and I'm not assuming you know, everyone here is a Christian, but one of the things you, you are acknowledging, if you are acknowledging a God and you're wrestling with the question of suffering and God, is that he's the creator and we are the, create, we are the creation. And, and by virtue of that, there are going to be things that we, we don't, fully understand. God's revealed himself and he's revealed everything that we need to know about him to be saved. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, there are secret things that belong to the Lord. Uh, there are things that we will not understand uh, in this life. There are certain things, maybe you will, you'll be able to trace things. Oh, wow, that was really hard, but like, gosh, it ended up for good, you know. There are other things that you're going through in your life right now that you, you have no idea what, what the Lord is doing, or what the Lord even could be doing. Um, one of the places you see those two truths meshed in Scripture, there's a number of places. Obviously, the cross is probably the primary one where you see a horrible sham of a trial, a miscarriage of justice, and in it is the salvation of all men. But also, you have, you have the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 35, where you see uh, the wickedness of this world. Uh, and God, and God's mercy and powerful and might. He, if you don't know the story of Joseph, he's, he's sold into slavery basically to be killed by his brothers. Uh, and then he gets taken off to uh, Egypt. He ends up becoming powerful. He wins the favor um, of the king. And then his brothers, you know, in a strange stroke of providence, end up having to come to Egypt because of a famine. They're probably already a little bit insecure about asking for help. Uh, then they realize the person that they're asking for help is their brother, who they thought they'd killed. 
and they find out that they're asking him now for relief, and they're terrified. And some of you, if you know anything about the story of Joseph, you probably remember this quote. He says to them, you intended it for evil, and God used it for good. You intended it for evil, and God used it for good. Um, we have a God who is mighty enough and good enough to take the broken things of this world and use them for good. We'll dive into a little bit of that later. Um, but just as an example of how those two truths of God's goodness and his might fit together. Um, you might be thinking, that's great. I know that. And I already knew that before I came to this seminar. Um, that's probably not the thing. I think those are two things that, were easy, that uh, we are quick to forget. Uh, but they're not the two hardest things to figure out when we're reading the Bible or when we're going through life. Oftentimes the hardest thing is not what's true about God, is he good or is he powerful, but it's can I trust God? I know those things. I've heard those things. I've read that passage. I know Joseph, but how can I trust this God uh, when the world and my circumstances don't seem to indicate that he's trustworthy? And the Bible's there's a lot of answers to that, but, but the answer we're going to kind of zone in on today is that the, the Bible's answer to that question is that we have a God who's not only mighty and good, but we actually have a God who has suffered. Uh, we have a God who has entered in to our suffering. Um, Revelation, end of the Bible, uh, John is raised to the third heavens and God kind of unveils history and kind of shows him the secret things that belong to the Lord. John gets to see the world and history as God has always seen it, and he brings him to the throne room. What's at the center of history? Revelation 5, we're told, Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with the seven seals. That scroll, most theologians... A lot of theologians can't really agree on Revelation, but most people agree on that, that that, that scroll is uh, God's plan and purposes for all of human history. It's in the right hand. Then I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or earth was under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Which makes sense. He's saying, no one can make sense of you. How ho- it is? It, it's a it's a hopeless and scary thought to think, and look at our world and to think. I, I know I can't make sense of it, but can anyone make sense of this? Is, is this is this going in a direction? Is there any hope? And he thinks the answer is no, and so he begins to weep loudly. And then all of a sudden he looks to the center of the throne room and he says he looks and he sees a lamb as if it's been slain. And they sang a new song, verse 9, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What John is saying he sees at the center of history is a lamb as if it's been slain. If you read the rest of the Bible, you know that lamb is Jesus incarnate. God taking on flesh and suffering for his people. God's answer to the question, who can explain all of history? What is all of history about? What's the answer to our suffering and our pain? And at the center of that throne room is a lamb as if it's been slain. Um, And so... What, what we'll go on to see is not just... So, so what that means is that we have a God who actually understands our pain and has entered into it. Um, not just on the cross, all of Jesus' life was marked by suffering, rejection, pain, abandonment, misunderstanding, mockery. Our God knows what it is to experience all the temptations of this world. Christianity, I think this quote's in your hand, Christianity recognizes suffering as a result of the fall and turning away from God. Therefore, it is through suffering that God comes in Jesus Christ and rescues us from ourselves. Uh, Christianity recognizes suffering as a result of the fall and turning away. Therefore, it's 
through suffering that God comes in Jesus Christ and rescues us from ourselves. That's the hope of this passage. The hope of this passage is not just, thank goodness we have a God who knows what it is to suffer. That is, and that's a huge hope. But more than that, what God is doing through Jesus on the cross is not just an act of empathy or sympathy. That's actually the way he's delivering us from our suffering. Jesus defeats death through the cross and the resurrection. He defeats suffering by suffering on our behalf and then rising from the dead so that suffering no longer has the last word. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a Savior who's been tempted in all the ways we've been tempted, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help in a time of need. I love that. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. In the midst of suffering, what is the thing we do not have when it comes to coming to God? We don't have confidence. Either we don't have confidence that he's able to do anything or we don't have confidence that we would have any standing before him. Um, the cross assures us that we can approach God in confidence because he's covered our sin. And the cross and the resurrection affirm us that we have confidence because we have a God who has defeated those things, who's willing and able. It's amazing. Will preached two Sundays ago on spiritual warfare in Daniel 10 and uh, one of the passages, he talks about Jesus disarming the rulers and the authorities in Colossians 2. Uh, Paul's talking about this work on the cross um, and God defeating evil, disarming the rulers and the authorities, winning spiritual warfare. He says this, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What Paul is talking about in Colossians 2 is Jesus on the cross. But that's the amazing thing about the cross is that it's this, it's, the, it's, it's such a sad and pathetic scene. It, and you understand why the Romans mocked him and why they made that mock, mockery of a sign, king of the Jews. And yet it's at that very moment that God is actually triumphing over the powers of evil. Uh, so, so the very thing that caused the disciples to despair and lose hope was actually the moment at which God was accomplishing his mission. Henri Blochet, I think I put this quote on your handout as well, uh, he says this, At the cross, evil is conquered as evil. Evil is conquered as evil because God turns it back on itself. He makes the supreme crime, the murder of the only righteous person, the very operation that abolishes sin. That's God's answer to suffering. God, God's answer to suffering and injustice and pain is to take the most painful act, the greatest injustice, the greatest amount of suffering. God received the full wrath of God. God takes that and defeats suffering with it. He withstands it in a way that we can't. He receives it in a way that we can't. And he dies for our sin in a way that we can't. And he's raised from the dead. And so he defeats the power of suffering. Not only that, but we are promised. So that's true. What that is, that, that right there is the assurance that sin no longer has the last word. It's not going to win. The power of sin is broken. But as you and I know, and as we're sitting here in a world that's broken and fractured, we know that its power does not hold power over us, but its presence is still here. And so we live in between, you know, the good news of the cross, that the power has been broken, and the good news of the promise that God is going to come back one day and make all things new. And we were given this image throughout Scripture. It starts in Genesis where one of the first effects of the fall is that one of the ways God says we are going to remember our sin, that every generation is going to be reminded of the sinfulness of humanity through the pains of childbirth. A new generation cannot come into this world without the reminder that there is sin. And one of the ways he's going to remind us of that is through the pains of childbirth. And then Paul picks up that same groaning image in Romans 8 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the, ch- in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await, as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Um, what an amazing description of what life can feel like in between those two promises. Um, groaning and aching. Some of you even this week have felt that in in your families, uh, in your own struggles, in your own shattered dreams, and the thought is just like, sometimes you just, that groaning and aching is like, you you just don't even know what to say. You know, it's, it's that, it's that, it's that, gut instinct in us where we, we don't know and we just go, oh, like that's so hard. There's just something wrong with that. I don't know what to say. It's just wrong. And so we groan and we ache. Um, and he's describing it to childbirth. And I've been told that's an apt description of the pain. You know what I mean? Obviously I've seen it four times, but um, never gone through it myself. Um, but, you know, I remember someone so I forget who told Amy, you know, the only reason you do that again is because you get uh, amnesia, or just childbirth amnesia, like you forget what it was like, that's the only reason you would do it again. Um, but the other reason you would go through something like that is because at the end of that, you get, you get to hold a child. And, and, and that's, that's the promise of Scripture. That's why I love what Paul says. We're, we're, we're groaning right now in the pains of childbirth waiting for adoption, waiting for that one day that we will be beheld by our Father. And that's the promise in Revelation 21, that there is a coming a day where, there'll be no, where we will be with God, and he will be our God, and we will be our people, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new. We live in light of that good news. But we live in, in, in light of that. We know it's coming. That doesn't mean it'll always feel that good or that it'll always feel that joyful. Life will look like groaning. And, and, and gosh, that has a ton of implications, but one of that means is that your hope and your faith in this world will sometimes look a lot different than you expected it to. Uh, the good news of the gospel, whether you grew up a believer and you never knew a day where you like came just to acknowledge for the first time how amazing the grace of God is, but you've had moments where you've been affirmed of it. Um, it's hard to envision at those moments where we taste and see the Lord's goodness that there might be a moment where we just can't even, where we can barely see it, like a, through a thick fog. But if this is true, if the effects of sin are real and we live in a world where we are groaning and aching, sometimes our faith and our hope will look like groaning and aching. Where we're groaning and aching and saying, Lord, I, I, do, I do believe you, but I, I, don't, I, I don't see what you're doing. I don't, I don't know what's going on in, in this world right now. Um, I'm going to read something that my friend's wife uh, wrote uh, 10 days ago. Uh, they got the word that, he, that, that uh, there was nothing else they could do uh, for him. And um, she wrote this uh, the day after uh, they entered him to hospice care. He passed away uh, on Thursday. She, she wrote this two Thursdays ago. She said, uh, tomorrow morning I will wake up and I will pray for the Lord to heal him. I will keep asking because it is what I long for. It is what I believe Jesus taught me to do, and I will keep hoping, even as it seems completely impossible, because I still know, um, sorry, it is what I believe Jesus taught me to do, and I will keep hoping, even as it seems completely impossible, because I still know that God loves us and has all control that I do not. I will pray, because even though I have so so many unanswered questions and prayers, so many disappointments, so many laments. My true hope is still, I'm, not, I'm really not sure how, in a God who shares all of my tears and all of my sorrows and still even in this awful moment will never leave us or forsake us. 
So I'll give him my heartache, my pain, and every cry that screams at how wrong and messed up and cruel this whole thing is. My husband's physical pain and disease, the ways that our family, our children will be torn apart, the sorrow and disappointment that we all, who love Jameson, will carry. We will bring it all to him. Um, I remember reading that and just thinking, it's so, that is such a a horrible image of just the thought that you are about to lose someone. And yet, I just thought, that is the most beautiful description, I think, of what life feels like. Um, I just love that honesty of like, um, I will pray, even though I have so many, so, so many unanswered prayers, so many disappointments, so many laments, my true hope is still, I'm not really sure how, how often is that an, an, an accurate description of how we're relating to God? Like, Lord, I'm praying, Lord, I'm at church, I really don't even know how I got here or why I came here, but I'm here uh, because I know there's not hope. I know I look at this world, there's, there's nothing this world can offer me with any sort of permanent, eternal sense of hope. And so I'm coming, and I don't know why. Um, we come sometimes with abounding hope and faith, and sometimes we come crawling, clawing our way, barely hanging on uh, to the hope that is offered in the gospel. Um, but, but, but the promise of Scripture is that we can come, and we can come with confidence um, because the Lamb has been slain. He's been slain for us, and he has slain death and suffering. We have a God who is so committed uh, to redeeming us that he took on flesh and suffered for us to rescue us from ourselves and our suffering. What that means is because we have a God who's like that and because our God is almighty and powerful and knows and orchestrates all of your actions, all of your thoughts, what this means is that none of our suffering is wasted. That God actually has a purpose because our God is a purposeful, eternal, and powerful God. It means there is a purpose in your suffering. Now going back to what we said earlier, that, that does not mean we will know the cause of all of our sin. It means that there is a purpose. It does not mean we will always know the purpose. I will never know uh, why uh, the Lord brought my brother home early. I have no idea. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, and I don't think I'm, I'm going to receive an answer to that in this life. I don't expect that I will. There will be some things maybe you've gone through and you think, God, that was really hard, but like I've actually, I kind of see how I've grown. You know what I mean? I saw... I think in God's kindness, we do see that sometimes, but there are some things we will leave this earth and we will not know. One day, someday, we will see Romans 8, 28, you know, the whole map, you know, what John saw, where God unveils history. It's like, this is what I was doing. But we, we don't know that now. But we do believe there are purposes. And the Bible talks about purposes in our suffering. And so I do, I do want to devote some time just to talking about the way God uses suffering, because he does Um, Christianity recognizes suffering as a result of the fall and turning away from God. Therefore, it is through suffering that God comes in Jesus Christ and rescues us from ourselves. That quote's from Tim Keller. And he goes on to say this. He says, I love this. So he's saying, because we have a God who's rescued us by suffering, whose life was marked by suffering, one of the way, how we suffer then, is one of the main ways we become great and Christ-like, holy and happy, and a crucial way we show the world the love and glory of our Savior. Uh, One of the ways we're going to show people what Jesus is like is by suffering, uh, because we have a God who has suffered. One of the ways we will love our neighbor is actually by letting them see us suffer, by entering into their suffering, uh, by letting them see us suffer. Um, How does God, what are the ways God does this? What are the ways he grows us to be Christ-like? Romans 5 talks about suffering producing producing resilience. Suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character produces hope. Uh, We live in a broken world and there is only, you are only going to experience more pain 
from here on out. I remember hearing that as an 18-year-old. I heard a pastor say, you are going to lose every single person that you love in this life or you're going to die before they do. How many, I never ever gave any thought that possibly happening, and yet it is absolutely true. We are all going to lose all the people we hold so dear, or we will die before them. We are going to experience more suffering and more pain. And one of the things God does is he actually uses suffering to build our character, uh, to build our trust, to grant us endurance. Um, Suffering deepens relationships. Um, The people you run to uh, when you feel like the world is falling apart are likely the people you've suffered with. People who've seen you at your worst, people who've seen you when you're sad, people who've seen you when you're mad, when you're crazy. Um, Those are the people, uh, I mean, it's great to have friendships that are just kind of, not, not all of our friends are going to be like that. You know, we have some of our friends that are more of like the cokes and jokes. We hang out and we have a fun time. But when things get hard in God's strange mystery, some of your deepest friendships have been forged uh, in the crucible of suffering. Uh, as you've been refined, your friendships have been refined. I can remember... Uh, in the days after my brother passed away, people just showing up. One of uh, he's become a good friend, but he wasn't even really that great of a friend at the time. He just showed up at our house, and he was so affected by my brother's passing. He just came up and he just said, "I'm so sorry." He just gave me this long, big hug. And in the weeks and months after that, he kept checking in with me. And he and I don't even really keep up that much, but I know if we if he came and we, we sat down today. We, we would weep and laugh at, at the way the Lord's been at work uh, because he, he, was, he, he was there. He walked in with me. Uh, the Lord will use suffering to deepen relationships. Um, he will use it to strengthen our relationship to God. Again, these are all things the Lord can do. Uh, the Lord, suffering, I remember hearing a pastor say, suffering will make us, uh, it, it can make us bitter or it can make us beautiful. It can make us bitter, uh, but it can make us beautiful. It can actually grow our trust. Um, Psalm 23 has that turn where in the first few verses, David's talking about the Lord. The Lord's my shepherd. Uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. Like when things are good, he's talking about the Lord. He will do these things. Then all of a sudden in the valley of the shadow of death, I know that you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. All of a sudden, he switches to this God that he's talking about, the Lord. So all of a sudden, you. Because all of a sudden, he realizes in the valley of the shadow of death that he has a God who is personal, who's personally invested in him. He, you are with me. C.S. Lewis says, you know, on the mountaintops, God whispers to us, and in the valleys, he's screaming at us. Uh, it draws us closer uh, to God. It changes our priorities uh, suffering can actually be a way that the Lord brings us back to himself. Because here's the reality. If, if our goal in this life is to be happy and comfortable, suffering is going to ruin that life. And suffering is coming. And, and when that be, if, the, if that's our goal and that's what we're sending our life around, our life will be meaningless. Because suffering is going to come in some way. And if I, don't have, if I lose the ability uh, to do the things that I want to do, or I lose the people that help me do those things that I want to do, That worldview has no explanation for that. Um, But if our goal is to become more godly and more Christ-like, then suffering is actually going to refine us and mold us and make us. uh, It makes us compassionate. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God um, it does, it makes us compassionate I remember I was telling in the first hour, I remember in college we had a friend in our group who suffered from migraines I remember she'd always have to like leave or you know stop doing things and I just remember thinking man like why you know you know, it's a head, you know, like, come on, like, you're really making a meal out of this. And then I remember 
uh, at the end of college and beginning of my RUF internship, I got like a uh, migraine, and I thought my world was falling. I thought I had to go to the emergency room, and I was like crippled, you know, for a whole day. And I immediately thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I talked to that person uh, that way. Uh, I'll share a little bit from George and Holly later on, but George Carter, some some you know George and Holly Carter in this congregation, they lost a child. They had two children. It was supposed to be triplets, and they lost one of their children. But but he talks about he's he's about to go start his fellowship. He's going to be a physician, and like how the Lord's used uh, their loss and that pain to actually um, soften his heart towards people uh, that he's seeing, and it allows him to enter in. So that suffering, uh, it makes us compassionate uh, because we know we need to be comfort, comforted and uh, allows us to comfort others with that comfort. Um, we've kind of turned the corner here on where I want to bring in Robin. So Robin and I are just going to sit because uh, this is where I, I really do want to kind of gear our conversation now towards, um, yeah, yeah, how can we show compassion uh, to those who are in suffering? What does it look like? Uh, what's been helpful? What's been hard? Uh, even just getting to know people's stories. Uh, Russ met with the college students last night and uh, one of the things he said, someone asked the question, how do we cultivate uh, communities that welcome people who are different from us and who are not like us. And he said, one of the greatest ways we can do that is carving out space in our churches for people to tell their story. Uh, because we believe that Christ plays in 10,000 places. Basically saying, Christ can, can, can play into all sorts of different situations, but it's really hard for us to believe that sometimes. And one of the ways God shows us that God can do that is, is through other people's uh, stories. And um, and so, yeah, I, I want you all to hear from uh, Robin, and I'll read some from George, because the reality is our, our suffering's uh, been different. Uh, our suffering's different from George and Holly, and it's different from yours. And so the, the more we can learn uh, from each other, uh, the better. And so some of you all know uh, Robin, uh, but I did want to let Robin just, uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, you and your story. Um, yeah. I guess my story starts with realizing everybody sitting here probably could sit here in this place. So I sit humbly sit here in this place, sharing my story, realizing everybody else has a story that's brought them closer to the Lord. Um, or if not, hopefully our stories together will draw you closer to Him. Uh, we have seven children, and in 2009, when they were still at home and we were homeschooling, I was diagnosed with cancer and have been through surgeries and treatments and just marriage of stuff. Like right now, I'm um, I'm receiving chemo every third week. It means I have to be in the hospital for five days, and I've really tried to. I started saying it and it's helped, but started to take, say I gotta make lemonade out of lemons. And that's not a direct quote from the scripture, but the idea of the joy of the Lord in my heart. Because I realized if I didn't have joy, I wouldn't be able to share the Lord with the people that came along that I met in the hospital. So I'm in the hospital for five days and then I have a week when I have to wear the mask, which y'all probably see me wearing sometimes in the choir. And then this is my free week or my good week. So anyway, um, well, that's kind of my story. Good. Um, well, just kind of going back to the importance of story and just and, and, and letting the world see uh, our own suffering. Can you just tell us just a little bit about what's been, what's been hard um, about the last 10 years uh, in particular since you got diagnosed? The hardest time was when I was in Texas for from August and December receiving treatment and I was separated from my family and I was supposed to be with my kids and here I am a mom being down here but my kids all picked up and shared jobs and even started doing their own wash. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
God helped me through that that time. So that was the hardest time. The other hard times is the things that have been taken away. Um, first of all, you have to know the miracle. My prayer was to have all my children graduate from school, and my youngest graduated in May of 2018, and he's now in college, and so that's a miracle to me that God has allowed me to live that long and be healthy and be able to finish what we were doing with the kids, and um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. Anything else that's been hard, anything that you feel um, like you've missed out on? Um, um, I hope to go back and be a physical therapist and work in therapy, and my schedule, obviously, with the schedule at Scrub doesn't allow allow that. But God's been good and given me a few patients patients here and there. So, um, not that I'm paid for it, but I sure enjoy treating those patients. And um, the other thing is, uh, I really like working with little bitty buddies, and um, you know, below two and teaching them and tell them stories. And when you're new to Pinnick, you can't get around those little buddies too much. So um, I just miss that and sharing with parents how much your kids start learning at such a very young age. So anyway, those are my, those are the hard parts. <laughs> um, what, what uh, can you tell us just a little bit about the ways the Lord has um, tangibly blessed you and your family through other people? Um, he gave us his church. We were without a church because our church that we were going to got smaller, smaller, smaller. And the point that I had to go to Texas, it disappeared. And we came here and the guys have loved on me, um, made meals for me, just been friends. Um, little hellos, how are you doing? Telling me how you're doing. Um, even Abby let me let my daughter practice at her house. <laughs> Just lots of um, little bitty things. A warm smile means a lot to anybody. A hug, you're good at hugs. <laughs> and if I don't point you out, it's probably because I just don't know you, and you probably would do the same. Um, I'm, I'm gonna repeat one of the questions that was asked uh, from someone last time because I thought it was helpful. We had someone in the last group who began volunteering um, what you say, like an intake? A chemo center, oh. outpatient receiving chemo as an outpatient. Yeah, and she, and she asked um, she doesn't know what to say. You know, she, she's dealing with people and she's had a hard time starting off the conversation with how are you doing? Because she knows most people are not doing well. So she asked, Robin, yeah, what advice would you give to someone who's, who's interacting uh, in that type of situation? Remember that each person's different and has different needs. And some people might want to talk. Medicine will make you tired. So you don't really always want to talk. But each person, um, to give them a warm, loving smile, the smile and love of Jesus. And um, I told her, you know, when I was a therapist, I wish I would have known to do this with all my patients, is pray for each one before you go in and you treat them, um, or you work with them, even if it's just muttering a quick prayer. I told her to pray for each one of them as she walked into the room that God would help her know what to say. Um, and he does answer those prayers. Um, I mentioned too, I want, I want y'all to hear from other folks in the body as well, but I emailed George and Holly Carter, um, I mentioned their story, they couldn't, they're out of town this weekend, um, but I asked them, uh, who's helped them as they mourn and wrestled with God, and it was sweet to hear them talk about this church, um, they said Mark Randall was a really significant part of our mourning and healing process, um, talking about him being present with them daily. They were obviously in the hospital for a long time while their children were there and a after the children were delivered. So they were away, and, and he said he, 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 he made them feel so connected uh, to this body uh, in the midst 
of that time. Um, one thing I asked them, um, and I think this was, this was helpful for me to even read their response, was what, what, was, what was unhelpful in this time? Because I think we've probably all been in that situation where we're going through something, whether it's whether we've lost something or whether we want something and, and we're not, and, and the Lord hasn't granted that request. Sometimes people say things and they want, they're, they're intending good, but in our head we're thinking, man, I really wish you knew how unhelpful that was or uh, how hurtful that was. And um, they, I love this response. Uh, uh, they said, uh, in, in, in suffering, so, so often you can get through it, you know what I mean? Especially if it's, if it's time dependent, you know what I mean? If, if it's something like you lose someone and, and that episode is over but you move past it or um, there's a relationship that's been healed. They say, you know, you get through it but you never get over it. Um, and they said it was really helpful for people to know and understand that, that even though th this episode is over, um, knowing that someone might be in a space where maybe it's been two or three years maybe, uh, but knowing that they're still, they haven't arrived yet, they're not fully healed, they might have gotten through it, but they're not, they're not getting over it. Um, I also love this, they said, um, they just talk about the shock of what they went through and, and, the, sh and, and, the, and the shock that went along with their mourning, where, where they were really in a spot where they didn't know what to say and what to talk about. And so th this is the best thing. And this kind of echoes what Russ talked about. Russ talked about um, in the midst of broken relationships or hard relationships or when we're talking with people who are suffering, we can be like Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you. Like, hey, we can't talk right now. That might be because there's something between you and me or there, there might be something you're going through. But I want you to know that I'm here. Uh, and so you might not want to talk right now. You may not be ready to talk. But I'm going to be here. And when you need to talk or want to talk, I'll be here. Um, I love that. Um, I think even, even what Robin was just talking about, too, of, of relating to people who are receiving chemo, and some people wanting to talk, some people may not want to talk, some people, man, if you smile and hug them, you've made their week. Other people, and I, or I remember this uh, even when my brother passed away, all my, my siblings and I are different. My parents are really different. You know, probably the most visible case was my parents. You know, my mom wanted to talk to people. She, I mean, there was a line of 15 people deep out the door who just wanted to talk to her. And then the days after we lost my brother, and she wanted to talk to them. My dad just wanted to go mulch the yard, you know, or, or mow the grass or watch horse racing. or you know, He just wanted to get away. And... Um, there, there are certainly unhealthy ways and healthy ways of mourning, but just because you mourn differently from someone doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. Um, and, and so knowing that, that, that certain people will want you to, like, talk and shepherd with them, but um, what were you saying? You were saying you kind of appreciate not so much talking, but kind of doing... Doing something with someone, doing some task or job together. Um, more like your father... He got away by himself, but I preferred the camaraderiness. Yeah. But that help that helps me. Um, that's healing to me, just to be together, accomplishing a task. Mm-hmm. I'd ask too. I think that's a great. Sometimes we have no idea. Uh, it might even be someone you know, and you might just think, "I've never been. I've never been through anything close to what they've been through." And it's okay to ask them. Or even just say to them, hey, I love you, and I want to, I want to love you. you how, how can I love you? You know what I mean? Would that, would that be a meal? Would that be us getting away? That would be awesome. I and mean, probably the best thing <coughs> we can do is just acknowledge, I don't know, but can you help me love you? Um, another thing I'd say, uh, and, and I mentioned this kind of at the end last time, is just, and this is so countercultural in a lot of ways, um, is just taking time to grieve. Um, there are whole books in the Bible devoted to grieving and there's whole sections long extended sections in the Psalms devoted to grieving and uh, and yet we live in just such a fast paced busy culture it's hard to sit still and do anything much less to sit still and grieve 
and yet I, I think even as we've seen this, our, our hope is actually refined through grieving. Um, one of the ways God will actually make the gospel more beautiful and his salvation more beautiful and his provision is, is when we actually take time to acknowledge the pain uh, that he promises to deliver us from. Um, you know, Job says in Job 3, uh, why did I not die at birth? Why didn't I come out of the tomb and expire? I mean, if someone, you know, if I'm in a Bible study with someone and they say that, or from the church, I don't. Th- I think for most of us, we'd be like, I don't know what to do with that. You know, like that's. But you know what? They're just quite. <laughs> Job says that. You know, and it's amazing. And like, and Job's friends come in. They're always trying to like rationalize. Like, okay, Job, let's try to figure out like why this is happening. Like, you sure you didn't sin? Like, you're positive. Like, you know, like this wouldn't just happen to anyone. And they're always trying to rationalize it and explain it away. And God comes back. Uh, at the end of Job and looks at his friends and says, you have not spoken of me what is true as Job has. Job in his despair was not, I think sometimes we feel like when we're honest with our pain and we're honest with how we feel um, that we are doing something unbiblical and yet there are Psalms. Psalm, I think it's 78 or 88, you know, Ends the psalm ends with the psalmist saying, "Darkness is my closest friend." Um, it's it. We, we need to take time to grieve, and we and I do know Paul talks about us. We grieve and we mourn with those who hope. Uh, we talked about the first one. A lot of times, especially in American Western Christianity, we can jump to the end of that. Like, yeah, yeah, we mourn, but we do it with hope. You know, of course we have to hope. And it's like, well, yes, we do that, and but we are we do need to mourn. Uh, yes, our mourning looks different. Yes, we do it with hope, um, but we do need to actually take time uh, to grieve uh, and to mourn, and, and that will look different uh, for, for different people how we do that. But but it is it's important to do that. Uh, it's actually biblical. Um, any other? Yeah, I want a lot of time just for questions too from y'all. Um, we've got a few more minutes here, so. Um, Thoughts, questions? How do you, uh, if you have, say, a roommate who's going through grief and you're just with him all the time, mm-hmm. or just maybe not with him, but it's different than just a friend because you're living life with that person. How do you still love that person when they're just pushing you away because of grief? Mm. And they're just... I love him. He's one of my best friends, but he's just kind of selfish. And I, like, I went to counseling, and Ty and I talked to him about it. I was like, oh, what do you think about this? And he's like, he's just going to be selfish right now. And like, got to love him. Because mm. he's, he's in a time where he, like, this is the most important thing to him. But here, you can hear that and still, it's still hard to love that person. Mm-hmm. And I love him, but it's, how do you love a, a neighbor? Yeah. Um, it's hard. I mean, there are seasons. Yeah, it's how do we love the person who doesn't want to be loved? Right? You know what I mean. And um, sometimes we're not very lovable, and there's other times where maybe we're not very lovable. But we want to be loved, um, but we're never gonna. Especially guys are terrible at, at this of just asking for help or asking to be loved or shepherded. Um. I do think, you know, and, and Robert referenced this too, and even relating to people who are different. You're not the Holy Spirit. You know, most of our pain and our suffering in, in ministry relationships comes with confusing our job with the Holy Spirit. So you can't, you're not responsible for changing his heart, but at the same time you can tell him, I love you and I want to help you. Um, help, help me do that. Um, but also I'm going to be praying for you. And, and when you're ready to talk, I'd love to. Um, but yeah, maybe even asking him, uh, and those who love him. There's tension there. You don't want to do that in a way that's gossipy, but, you know, mm-hmm. being strategic space. there. Giving him space. Yeah, giving him space. Yeah. That's just... Yeah. It's been about eight, eight months. And so I know it, take, it takes time, except for the first few months, 
I kind of understood, gave him a lot of space, and I was like, oh, I, didn't, I didn't think he was done grieving. I was like, okay, now we can kind of maybe get more into it, our friendship. Yeah. It's just hard. Yeah. Because there's no time with their own grief. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. that's, that's good. Yeah. So your roommate's with him? Mm -hmm. Sam, may I share something? Yeah. May I share something? Absolutely, Bill. February 2nd, 2002, I received a phone call that my 28-year-old son was killed in a plane crash. Anybody here lost a child besides me? I'll tell you, God is good all the time. My son was a very devout Christian young man in spite of his father. He tried to witness to the pilot all during the things. I have yet to be angry with God. I have yet to be angry with God. And they say you don't deal with it every day of my life. I deal with it. The consolation is, I know where he is. You spoke of something earlier. We don't always know, but one day, I'm a good friend of Bob Russell, who used to be pastor of the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. I don't say this braggingly, I'm a third generation funeral director, and I've been doing it over almost 60 years now, and I'm still learning. He wrote me a letter and said, Bill, there's a special place in heaven for parents like you. I've never forgotten that. Blake will never die as long as I'm alive. He left two small children, four and two. The two-year-old does not remember him at all. They're now 21 and 19. Don't ever thumb your nose at God. Don't ever. Did I have a reason to? Yes. Did I? No. God is good all the time. People watched me when Blake was killed. And I said, Lord, if he one soul comes to know Jesus because of his death, it's worth it all. I'll never know this side of heaven, but the ramification he had on people. He had people, adults, that came to the funeral home and said, we don't know you. We just came to tell you what impression your son's made on our life. I have seen people on the other side of grief that lose a child and walk completely away from God. I've seen it all. But God is good. I will share this with you. If you don't think the devil's alive and well, I've had two satanic funerals in my life. They're scary. They're evil. They're dirty. So don't think for one minute that he's not alive and well. The worst thing you can say to somebody is I know how you feel. If you have lost a child, you have no clue. I tell families that I deal with all the time that I, I don't have the mother feels because I didn't carry that child, but I have an idea how the father feels because I've been there. Always remember, love them. <coughs> Just like you said, you've done all you can do right now. They will eventually come back. Give them space. I didn't mean to interrupt, Sam. No, you're fine. In fact, we'll probably, um, we'll probably wrap up unless there's anything else. Um, I was just thinking, yes, yeah, some of you are in the midst of this, taking time to grieve, walking with others too. Just don't be afraid to enter in. Um, don't be afraid to walk. 
or ask questions. Hopefully they'll, they'll tell you if they don't want to talk or don't, don't need your help right now. They might just need space. Um, but anyway, thank you. We'll be, I'll be around up front. If you have questions, let me, let me pray for us real quick. Anyway. Uh, Father, Lord, we do, uh, we thank you. Uh, Lord, I just give you thanks for this conference, Lord, and just uh, taking a few days, Lord, uh, to carve out space and to sit in our command to love our neighbors. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the people you've placed in this body. Lord, all of us have a story, and all of us, uh, Lord, have been pricked by the effects of the fall in different ways, and we've all suffered in so many different ways, Lord. Uh, everyone's story here in this room is vitally important, uh, Lord. And I just pray, I pray right now, God, that uh, you would comfort us. Lord, all, all of us are going through something right now, whether we realize it or not, that we need uh, your redemption uh, to wipe away and to meet. And so, Father, I pray for that. And I pray that as we are met by the hope of the gospel, Lord, that you would push us into the lives of the marginalized and the lonely and the suffering, uh, that we might walk together or stumble together or crawl together because of the hope uh, of the gospel that is real. And so, Father, we pray all of these things in the name of the Lamb who was slain, uh, the one who crushed the head of the serpent, the Alpha and the Omega. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.